success in anything is just a matter of consistent iteration over the long term. I mean, that's really it because, you know, of course, I hear all the time, oh, you're young, you're young. But I've been doing this a long time, and I've been doing this longer than most people ever stick with anything. Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Habercost, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. What's up, everybody? My name is Mason McDonald with RM Golden, and I have the pleasure of getting to interview my co-host, Dan Haverkost with Front Range Land today. Dan, how are you doing? Great, Mason. Uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. Um, we got to do this with me the other day and uh, excited to get it get to do it with you and figure out all the stuff that I don't know about you, even though we hang out every day and do business together and everything. But Dan, who are you? Where are you from? And how did you get from where you were to where you are? Ooh, that's a big question, but I'll try and answer it as succinctly as possible. Uh, so I live in Colorado Springs, right? 27. And I originally from rural Ohio, I joke that I grew up in a cornfield, but it's not really a joke. I, I grew up in a cornfield and, you know, growing up there, there was nothing going on. Uh, nothing ever changed. No one ever left. And everyone, eh, they joined the military or they got uh, some sort of blue collar job. And everyone in my family never had money. It was kind of slaves to their jobs. And uh, I watched my older siblings at least try and go to college, but end up with huge, huge amounts of college debt. And then even with more white collar jobs, they were still very much stuck. And so from a young age, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do that. How do I take a different right route? How do I set myself up for success as an adult? And uh, I started working pretty early because we didn't have much money. If I wanted anything, I had to go buy it. And uh, so by the time I was 16, I was managing a farm and a portfolio of rentals for my boss at the time. Well, he'd spend most of the year in Aruba. And uh, that taught me all about the sort of real estate I do not want to own. Confrontational dynamic with his tenants, you know, C minus rentals at best, not well kept. Uh, that was not a whole lot of fun, but that certainly taught me a lot at a young age. So did that through high school. I actually did my own landscaping company on the side in the summers. And then in college, I was going to school full time and working full time. And so, I mean, I'm talking 45, 50 hours a week of work with full time school and granted, it was a business degree. I wasn't going to be a, you know, in medicine or something more challenging, but nonetheless, that was still a lot to manage all at once. And it was around 20 years old. I was pretty frustrated. I'd watch my friends have fun in high school and college. Uh, and all I did was work, but I thought, okay, I've been managing other people's businesses since I was basically a kid. I'm um, certainly a little bit precocious. How do I take this and apply it as an adult to build some sort of, of, of business for myself? And so I started reading different books, listening to podcasts, of course, found bigger pockets and read about equities and so on and so forth. And like pretty much everyone else, it was Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That was the light bulb moment. Uh, so read that book, ended up buying a duplex when I was 21. It's in Parma, Ohio. For anyone that knows where that is, I still own that today. And uh, I didn't want to stay there. So I, I moved to Colorado, long story behind that, but told everyone I was going to go climb all the mountains and build a bunch of businesses. And so that's exactly what I've been doing. I bought another house hack when I got out here. And uh, so I was 22 at that time, realized that, hey, the low and no money down stuff is great for selling books and courses and maybe picking up a couple house hacks. But in reality, if you want to accrue a large portfolio of rental properties, you need to figure out how to make a lot of money. And so I decided, all right, 
what sort of active business can I start under the umbrella of real estate? And uh, at the local meetup here, the one I actually now host, I met a guy who'd been doing land and development for the last 40 some years across the country, even across the world. He'd done projects in China. And uh, I would drive an hour south every weekend to Pueblo, Colorado to to learn from him, to help him in his business, work for him really for, for free uh, in exchange to, to learn from him. And after doing that for about a year, I started to go out and source the land for him, right? I, I, I'd go get a lot and assign it to him for a thousand bucks or, you know, just simple stuff like that for the building of houses. I don't think I specified. And so I learned about land from the context of building new construction homes and sourcing the land for him. And, and over time, my own business evolved from that. We did a bunch of projects together, a bunch of new builds together, uh, but Front Range Land was ultimately born out of that. And so today I'm 27. I own a land development business, which continually feeds the acquisition of more rental properties. So that's where I'm at now. Wow. 27. You've been doing it for 11 years. Um, I'm 28 and it makes me uh, makes me feel like I have failed at life hearing <laughs> how much you've already done whenever you got started, whenever you were a kid. But that, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, I think it's such a cool story. And I think you had that entrepreneurial neat, you know, bones in your body from, from a very young age. But um, when you were in college, you know, you're getting a business degree, you have more business experience than sometimes a lot of the business professors that are there. Uh, did you learn anything at all in college? Oh, man. Um not really. Probably the only classes that in hindsight were useful. Uh, some of the basic statistic concepts, which I talked about at the meetup this week, and then um, accounting. Some of the basics of accounting were useful. But beyond that, not so much. It was useful to learn how to manage just a large volume of work. But I mean, I, I graduated with the four and that wasn't especially difficult. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No. And I, I, I think that that's such a crucial point where experience is going to be one of the greatest indicators of success uh, rather than formal education, although you kind of need both for everything. But sure. when you moved to Colorado, correct me if I'm wrong, you had a job, right? Yeah, I did. I did. The first job I could get, I just, when I got here, I drove out here, didn't have a job yet, just started applying to 10, 15 jobs a day. And uh, I got hired at Enterprise. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, how was that experience and was it motivating or unmotivating for you to come out and start your own businesses? Oh, it was motivating in the sense that I hated it. I hated every second of it. I've never been able to work for someone, even as, you know, even in high school and college, those roles I had, they just left me alone. I did my own thing. I, I have always been kind of in my own world, in control of my schedule. Even as a kid, my parents just kind of left me alone. They knew better, um, which that sounds different than I mean it to. But for whatever reason, I was always a little bit precocious. And so, you know, 12, 13 years old, they kind of just left me alone. And then I had the job where I ran the farm and the rentals and he just left me alone, let me do my thing. And so, yeah, that was awful. That was one of my first actual jobs in the sense that having a manager and having requirements and, and someone telling me what to do. And I hated it. And so I did that for a few months and then Someone I knew from Ohio called me and, and had a remote sort of recruiting staffing job. And at the time, you know, I'm 22. I thought this would be a much better role. I'll have control over my time. I can work on real estate stuff. And uh, that was a, not a mistake, but I was wrong. It That was awful. That was the worst job I ever had. And I remember 
I was miserable. So this is 2019, early 2019. And that really pushed me to just go figure it out and get the heck out of that job. So I left that job like July or August 2019. And I will could never work for someone again. I I totally get it. That resonates with me so much. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, you you have a limited experience in corporate, but you have so much experience working in the small small business world, you know, same question of college. Did you learn anything applicable, you know, whether it was with the staffing agency or the rental car company that you now apply in your business, whether it's the right way to do something or the wrong way to do something? Hmm. In those companies, not as much. In the small business, absolutely. I could go on and on about that. But beyond just further experience with effective communication, um, not much, not much. That makes sense. That makes sense, especially whenever you're in that employee role um, and yeah. having to, you know, attempt to apply something. But now you're a business owner. You have both. I mean, you have a W-2 employee. You have contract employees. Mm-hmm. Uh, talk to me about how, you know, when when you were a kid, you're 16 years old, you're managing this rental portfolio and this Christmas tree farm yeah. uh, for this guy that's living in Aruba half the time. I don't know if he was a good manager or a bad manager, but what's your approach to management uh, in your business? Okay, this is a great question because some of those early experiences were really impactful. He liked me, but other than that, he was definitely pretty vindictive and could be pretty nasty. And I saw that. I saw that with some of the other employees. I saw that with customers, with him and his wife, because uh, you know, I take care of their house and their their landscaping and. That taught me a lot about what I didn't want to do and how I didn't want to be. And actually, there's another story that was really impactful. I, I got to tell. Uh, so I'll get to your, your your question here. So I told you on the side in the summers, my buddy and I would do our own landscaping company, right? And oh, yeah. uh, all right. So he and I um, bought some of our own equipment and started getting customers, door knocking, et cetera, cold calling everyone we know. And his family was pretty well off. And his dad goes, oh, well, why don't you guys start using one of our trailers? And we go, oh, okay. Uh, You know, what what does it cost to rent? He goes, no, 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 you can just use it. He let us use more and more equipment slowly over time. And we kept asking, like, can we pay for this? Let us pay for this. He goes, no, no, you can just use it. It's fine. And then one day I'm at the gym, my buddy, we would go work out together. And uh, he looks, something's wrong. He's distraught. Something's wrong. And he kind of, he just looks at me. I, I, I can picture where we were standing, what we were doing, everything. He goes, Dan, my dad says, well, since we're using so much of our equipment, um, you have to work for me now. And uh, we're not 50-50 partners anymore. And I'm taking him back. And he goes, but I told him, no, I'll just give him all the equipment back. That's that's ridiculous. Um, and his, you know, the, the mom knew me too. And the mom told the dad to you know, F off too. Mm. But here I am. We're 17. I don't think we turned 18 yet. We're in high school. We didn't ask for any of that. Right. We said repeatedly, we'll pay for it. And he tried to screw me, the kid from the family with no money that was just trying to pay for college. And I will tell you that lesson has stuck with me to this day. And the reason I thought of this kind of as a corollary to talking about the the boss I had who wasn't super pleasant or friendly to people, people like that reap what they sow, man. Like, you know how it is. Right. You treat people very well. You're very easy to do business with. And so do I. And what do you know? If I need anything anywhere, anytime, I have someone I can call. And and so 
those early lessons, some of those business people I around who were really cutthroat, nasty, and vindictive, and just poor to their tenants, poor to their customers, poor to everyone, their life sucks. And that's why they have a shitty little business and, and have to work hard to make small amounts of money. And so I said, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And so those memories have really, really stuck with me because I saw a lot of nasty, nasty interactions. Actually, there was more beyond that, but uh, those are a couple, or there's one that really stands out. Oh, I want to hear about it. I want to hear about it. But I, I, I think, you know, looking back, it's so funny to see where the lessons that you learned working for the wrong people or for the wrong company of what not to do were going to be the ones that are most impactful, which I think is something you and I both try to drive home is that business is very simple. Treat people well, have good documented processes, you know, and, and everything will kind of work out from there. But what, what's a technical takeaway specifically from the friend's dad and the actual business relationship you guys had? What's a technical takeaway that listeners could use uh, from your experiences? Yeah, uh, you know, we were kids, but in general, I think just getting everything on paper, in writing, the, all your agreements signed, all expectations very, very, very clear. Uh, you know, right now I'm working on putting... So as a corollary, right now I'm working on putting a couple more builds together, I told you, with that new buddy. And things would probably be fine if we did it via handshake. But I said, no, 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 let's go through every single process. Let's make sure every expectation is incredibly clear as to who is doing what, who's funding what, who's floating what, so on and so forth. And we'll get that on paper. And I think you say this quite well in that prepare for it uh, as far as agreements and contracts as if everything's going to go wrong, but then... Once that's signed and done, operate as if it's just a handshake deal. And I right on. Yeah. Well, I took that from you. So anyways, <laughs> uh, that would be a good tactful lesson from from that early experience. No, I you're you're right on. And it's such a beneficial, you know, lesson to learn where, you know, you you and I have gotten our ass handed to us a few times, but it's such a low dollar amount of a lesson learned. Have you learned what could have been a million dollar loss at some point? Uh, when you were a kid, whenever it wasn't, you know, too big of a deal, which allowed you to not make similar mistakes that I made in my adult career, um, which is awesome. But all right, Dan, you learned lessons when you were a kid, uh, which most of us would have paid a lot of money for um, as adults. Where are you at today? Let's walk through all of your current business ventures, but let's start with Front Range Land. What is Front Range Land? Where did it start and where are you at today and how'd you get there? Sure, sure. So that was the business that came about via the mentor. I hate that word, but the mentor I told you all about. And it's quite simple. If you think of a giant marketing funnel going direct to seller to buy land at 30 to 55 cents on the dollar, and then much of that land we just buy and sell, sometimes for cash, sometimes for terms, very occasionally we'll do assignments. And then on a few lots at a time, we'll put new construction homes on. And that's been a really interesting um, disposition strategy because I don't know a lot of people doing it. There's definitely a disconnect in the construction industry in a lot of places where there's a bunch of good old boys that are in their 60s and 70s still building. And then, of course, there's the huge builders. There's the Lennar and Toll Brothers in Richmond. But there aren't a lot of people other than maybe the kids of some of those those legacy builders that are, are doing this. And it's actually an excellent way to make money and, and create buy and holds for yourself as well. I love that. I love that. I think that's something that we try to hit on all the time is with any business or any investment strategy, make sure to have multiple exit strategies. Yep. So 
you've got a team under you too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk, so. let, let, I, and I don't, I don't want to hear about your exact team, but I want to hear about your approach to finding this team and managing this team. Sure, sure. So for anyone that likes any of the um, uh, personality tests, the culture index is excellent. I use that. That is good and bad. That is the most accurate description of people I, I've really ever seen. It's not conclusive, right? It just tells you their tendencies. Uh, there's multiple factors, but that's been really helpful. So I use that in conjunction with uh, interview questions and an and interview process that's pretty thorough. But most of my best, actually just about all of the best employees I've had come via referrals. And just going back to the power of having a good network of people that like you, that want to help you. You know, uh, both of my acquisition guys came via referrals uh, and they have been excellent. And so that already gives or gets past so much of the screening that needs done when someone you really, really trust says, hey, this guy's worked for me and it was excellent. So as far as management, I manage them the same way I do myself. And so just like you and I have our scorecards for the week with our KPIs corresponding to our goals, my acquisition guys have the same. They have metrics they need to hit around how quickly they're following up with new leads, how many deals they're getting, how many calls they're making, so on and so forth. But nothing will will solve for having hired the, the wrong person. So I, I want to hit on that a little bit more in that you really need to build out the avatar for who is the best personality and experience type for this role. And so if you hire a shy introvert to go cold call all day, doesn't matter what your management looks like, they're not going to last, right? So I'll, I'll pause for a moment there because I, I know I, I said a lot. No, I, I think you're hitting on one of the most crucial points where, you know, I, I've seen you, you know, adapt your management style as you've gotten more comfortable with, you know, just overseeing directly and having, you know, a true responsibility to your people, uh, which is something that you should be super proud of because you're always making sure they have enough work and enough business to do, especially with it being a salary, but mostly commission role. But I think where you really succeed and something that you know, has helped me in my business is you focus on hiring areas where you are weaker or it's painful for you to do business in as versus trying to bring people that are exactly like you into your mm-hmm. team. You're trying to, you know, you think of it like a spider chart uh, yeah. where it, you know, all of these different strengths and you're on one side of the chart and you bring these other people in. Um, talk to me about how your people complement where you might have a deficit. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a great question. So I hate, hate, hate taking phone calls. You know, every personality test I've taken says I like sales, but I only like it up to the point that I find it challenging. So just like you, right, if if we have to go sit in or do a presentation in front of a bunch of high-level investors, that's exciting. Would love to go do that, sell them. But talking to land sellers makes me want to blow my brains out. I hate it so much. I'll procrastinate on it. I, I, I don't like building rapport. I want to get to the point. My conversations are too quick. I lose deals because of that. And so I've hired guys, and one especially, who, you know, I look at their their phone time, right, on call rail. It tells me how long they're on the phone. And I see 20 to 30-minute conversations all the time. And that's why he is so good at his job and better than me because he gets people calmed down past that initial, you know, very amygdala driven sort of barrier where, hey, I don't know you. Are you a threat? Are you a scam? 
he is so good at getting past that, building rapport, and then being able to just have honest conversations with the people. And so both of my guys are better at that than I am because, you know, to use an easy example, I tend to communicate more like people from New York, right? To the point, no bullshit, get right down to it. And the problem is when you're doing a lot of business in the South, that doesn't go over so well with the uh, Southern, Southern sort of culture. And so that's one thing they're better at than me. And just sitting still in general, because they do a lot of calling and talking on the phone. Um, and I hate doing that. So they're, they're very good there where I am not. That, I mean, it makes perfect sense. I mean, that's how you really grow and scale your business is you bring in those people that have those complementary skills where they have to be easy to work with. But it's so fascinating to me learning that there are people different than myself. And maybe that's my gigantic ego and mm-hmm. where exactly what you're saying of all of these things that you're talking about that your your guys are doing, it's so painful for us but it's so exciting and amazing for them. And I think that's a great lesson for people to learn about the opposite side of it. If they're talking to sellers or they're talking to external stakeholders, don't assume that they think the way that you do. So yeah, I, Dan, I know you read a lot. You read a lot about physics. You read a lot about sociology and psychology and everything about the human experience. What's a lesson that you've learned from one of your books that you've read that are not about business that you apply in your business? Well, Oh, I have a lot there, but I think I just touched on one that's really important. So understanding, are people thinking with their amygdala? Or are they thinking with their prefrontal cortex, their, their frontal lobe? Uh, because your amygdala is the very old part of your brain where it's the, oh shit, I'm getting chased by a, a, a lion a, or whatever, a, a bear in the jungle. I got to run. It's the fear-based fight or flight split second decision part of your brain, whereas the prefrontal cortex is the logical side, the thoughtful side. So emotions uh, and more fear and and scarcity based versus logic and reason. And so when you're talking to someone new, especially in the context of cold calling, they're initially operating out of that old part of the brain, the amygdala, where they're just trying to determine whether or not you're a threat. And if you don't understand that, you can't start by appealing with logic. And this is where I fall. I, I fell short is I, I didn't take the time to get past that. You know, you meet someone new and, and they have a barrier up, right? This is true in dating. This is true across the board. Pitch Anything is a great book that talks about this. It was a high level sales guy that would raise hundreds of millions in equity for different projects. So he knows he knows this at the highest level. And you have to understand that you got to get past that to get someone's barrier down, right? Where they're calm, where they're actually thinking logically. Um, And so that's where the rapport comes in. As cliche as it is, it is cliche for a reason uh, because you've got to get past that. And really, I think an easy analogy is if you imagine two people across the table from each other negotiating fiercely, the goal is to shift the dynamic of the conversation. So you move yourself around the table where you're looking at the project, at the problem together and collaborating as opposed to you know, very much a confrontational event. And so uh, that's a concept that has really stuck with me. And, and that makes so much sense. And that's so foundational to understanding business and human relationships in general. You know, the talking about your your brain of, you know, starting at the back, going all the way to the front where the prefrontal cortex is of, you know, you've got your, your, your lizard brain that's back there that's very much so just thinking about survival um, and then you've got up here where it's all all the logical decision making. And I think that, you know, that applies so directly to business in general of you have to make sure that you're safe and secure and the 
initial needs are met before you can go and start solving too complex problems. But exactly. Um, but Dan, you you're you're not just you know starting tons of businesses. You're one of the healthiest people I know. How do you feel like your approach to your physical health and being active in life um, both supports your business and supports just uh, your your goals in general? Mm, yeah. So. Another thing that I don't think is talked about enough, if, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not going to have energy, you're not going to feel good, right? You're not going to want to do anything. And so, yeah, I know I exercise every day, I eat well, um, sleep a lot, and so I feel good every day. Uh, and I think that that, or I know that that absolutely contributes to me being able to be successful in business. Um, and so just establishing those habits, uh, that goes back to a very early age. And so it's easy at this point, I don't have to think about it, but if you're in a place where you don't take care of yourself and you're thriving in business, but you're you're not doing well f- physically, I, I would just put it in your, whatever your tracking sheet is, however you hold yourself accountable in business, I would add metrics around health to that. Because, I mean, you know, I, I have a couple of friends that I can think of who are absolutely killing it in business, but the relationships are terrible. They work themselves to death. They're probably, if they continue doing what they're doing, heading to an early grave, right? And that's just, that's just not worth it. And so, Part of it for me is just my priorities are very clear and business is not the top of that list. And Mason, to to expand on that a little bit further, you know, I, I take a lot of time to go travel, snowboard, mountain bike, see my family, see my friends. You know, I'm, I'm driving all over the country quite a bit. And that, I think, is synergistic or I know is synergistic with business in that it gives me time to think and to plan, to get out of my day-to-day context. It is so hard to to come up with new ideas and plan and strategize when you're just in your office in the same context you're in every day. And so, you know, when I'm on top of a mountain in, in Utah or, or, you know, riding a wave in California, uh, it just gives me time to think and plan. And I think it makes me better in business. I come up with new ideas and then I'm just excited to go back to work. And so I, I think, right, can I keep saying that I know that having hobbies and having relationships and making sure business is not your whole life is really, really important and ultimately allows you to be better in your business. And it just makes it more fun. 100%. You've got to rest in, in, you know, to be able to work. And I think a lot of people view rest as sitting on the couch and eating a bag of potato chips and watching a movie or something like that is versus getting out, having fun, allowing, you know, working different parts of your brain. You know, if we're shredding down the mountain, uh, you know, that's a totally different experience and thrill than, um, you know, you get to experience uh, anywhere else in the world. So I love it. Um, you're a well-rounded person. You got started so young uh, in in business and in real estate in general. But uh, we're coming to the end of this. Dan, what do you want to leave the listeners with uh, to to finalize any points about the story of Dan that uh, you want them to take away? Um, you know, probably the simplest thing I would leave you with is success in anything is just a matter of consistent iteration over the long term. I mean, that's really it because, I, you know, of course, I hear all the time, oh, you're young, you're young. But I've been doing this a long time and I've been doing this longer than most people ever stick with anything, you know. So, of course, I'm doing well. I'm not that special. It's just doing something consistently over the long run. Of course, I'm in shape. I've been weightlifting since I was 13. You know, it, it, it's just a matter of consistent iteration. And suddenly you wake up and you're, holy crap, I've come a long way. I love it. I love it. Dan, this was fun uh, getting to put you in the hot seat. For everyone, this is Mason McDonald with RM Golden and Dan Habercost with Front Range Land. We'll pick it back up soon. Thanks, Mason. 
And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.